The Guardian. Floods are back in the news this week. A multi-million pound operation is currently underway to clear up after Cornwall and Devon virtually disappeared underwater. More rain is on the way and there's growing pressure on the government to address the issue of the country's flood defences. Doesn't the devastation in Cornwall illustrate the false economy of his recent decision to slash investment in flood defences? Well, that's simply not the case. The fact is, DEFRA will be spending over £2.1 billion on flood and coastal erosion risk management over the next four years. That is roughly the same as spent over the last four years. We made some difficult choices in the spending round, but we've protected flood defences because it is important. I'm Martin Wainwright, and in this Focus podcast, we'll be examining Britain's resilience to the increasing danger of floods. One in six properties is at risk of flooding, and cleaning up after is an expensive operation. So, what better place to come than Cockermouth in Cumbria, which is currently marking the one-year anniversary of its own devastating flood? We came to work as normal. It was raining, thought, you know, just natural in winter weather. And then it started to run down the pavements, and I sort of got a bit panicky, thinking, oh, what's going to happen here? And it just rose and rose. And crossing that road was absolutely horrendous. We had to link arms because we couldn't see the steps and the flow of the water, it was just moving so fast, we, we couldn't have stood up without each other. My daughter was working next door in the art shop and my husband had to come down and bring her some Wellingtons down and then they had to go across the bridge on a rope. And yeah, it was very, very scary, it was very surreal. There was nothing we could do, just nothing, we just left again. and It was heartbreaking, we, we cried. <laughs> Most things are back to normal, but not everything. I'm just standing by the sweet shop uh, in Cockermouth's Main Street, which is still being cleared out. If you look inside, there are people working there, and you can see uh, the stone walls um, are still there with everything ripped off, including the plaster. I'm just going a few doors along to see John T. Chippendale, who's the head of the um, Cockermouth Chamber of Commerce. He runs the toy shop in the town. Everyone said it was a, th- a one in a thousand years event. Is, is that the general feeling? It was extraordinary. I think it's extremely unlikely that it would ever happen again. And if it did happen again and we got 12 inches of rain in 24 hours, we would flood. But to defend against that would mean turning the town into something like uh, Berlin when the wall was up. And mm. so you would spoil the town in defending it. But in truth, the Environment Agency have done an awful lot of work in the last year, um, both to improving and strengthening the existing flood defences around the town and in putting new defences in along Goat Road. So they've done a lot for us in a very short time and I'm very confident that the work they've done uh, will keep us safe for the next 100 years. We've been lucky to get so much of the work from the Environment Agency done this year because I suspect that uh, next year their budgets will not stretch to the sort of work they've been doing this year. It's lovely to see you back here, um, Jonty, in in this wonderful new toy shop. And I've just walked along Main Street, and by and large it's like that, but but we're not completely there yet. There's still some work being done, isn't there, on on not everybody's back. No, but the difference between now and six months ago is that there is some work being done on the empty shops. Uh, Six months ago they were empty, dark, and nothing was happening. Now there's workmen in them, and so we know that another six months from now they also will be back up to a completely refurbished standard and the whole town will be looking really really smart i mean it looks pretty good now but it'll look even better by spring you know looking at the shop here uh, if the waters did rise you'd have a heck of a job moving all these toys and things up we've all 
put things back in a way that um, means that should it ever happen again, we have less to do than we did. I mean, all my electrical points, if you look around, they're actually at ceiling level rather than at ground level. Oh, yes. And my uh, slat wall, which is the, the wall covering that allows you to put shelves on, uh, is done in two stri- two layers so that if a flood came, I'd lose the bottom layer, but I wouldn't have to replace the top layer. So we thought things through. So while Cockermouth is deep in the rebuilding process, it's not the only town to have suffered from flood damage recently. Emsworth in Hampshire was flooded a couple of weeks ago, and there were severe cases around St Austell in Cornwall on Wednesday, of course. The Environment Agency looks after our defences against extreme weather. Glyn Vaughan is risk manager at their Penrith office in Cumbria. Well, global warming is, is, is the big challenge, isn't it? You know, it's, it's all about extremes, there's flooding, drought, uh, extreme temperatures, a whole range of, of extremes that we have to manage. So we would expect more extreme flooding in, in, in the future. Uh, the rainfall will come in far more intense bands and create the type of flooding that we saw last November. So we have to be, be prepared for that. Since 2005, when we had the, the flooding in Carlisle and uh, Cockermouth and Keswick, we've done an awful lot of work uh, with the backing of, uh, of, of, of politicians, both locally and in central government. We've just completed a £38 million scheme, for example, in Carlisle, um, which actually prevented some flooding last, last November, and it's already paid for itself. The scheme cost £38 million. Had it not been in place, uh, we estimate there would have been £48 million worth of damages. So they are definitely economical to, to, to build. But uh, on, on the other hand, you know, there's an opportunity now to, to look at more innovative ways of, uh, of reducing flood risk. Uh, a great example is, is the, the work we're doing with the flood action groups in Cumbria. There are now over 30 flood action groups. Cockermouth, uh, you know, is a great example there, and Keswick. In Cockermouth, we're, um, we're building a scheme at the Goat area of Cockermouth, which is an outlying area of the town. And uh, the Cockermouth Flood Action Group have contributed uh, £50,000 towards that scheme, which they've s- secured from various sources. And they're also working with, um, with the local authorities and the utility companies to look at surface water risk. So they're looking at the whole flood risk, uh, not just flood risk from the river, but flood risk from groundwater and surface water, by working in partnership with various organisations, including ourselves. And I think that's, that is the way forward. You know, We have to work together as a group. There isn't going to be the money in the future that we have now, but we have to look at better and different ways of, of reducing the flood risk. Oh, you just stop taking off. Good. Well, I've just come along to Wordsworth's birthplace. The, the house is shut for the winter, but um, the shop is doing a booming trade. And among other things, you can buy a flood trail uh, for a pound. And I think this is very typical of the way Cockermouth reacted to a crisis. I mean, um, taking advantage of it almost. Uh, Rachel, you're, you're one of the National Trust. Um, staff here at the shop? Yes, well the, the flood trail is something that the uh, the town has done to help people because people are co- coming and visiting asking questions and it, it gives them an indication of what's going on and so they can follow it round and see some of the significant places and the and the events. I was just talking to John T. Chippendale at the toy shop from the Chamber of Trade as well and he he said that the floods have, have increased visitors I mean because I suppose there's been so much publicity I mean, is that have you found that? I would say so, especially at the beginning of the year when 
this town really was in quite a sorry state and we did get quite a lot of people coming and then we had other people saying they weren't sure whether to they to come or not and we were you know saying well please come because by coming and spending a bit of money here and showing support is the best thing they could do for the town so yes i think it has brought you know more people more people in do you think we've been taught a lesson um that people before us already knew i mean for example well, it wasn't the words, was it? Was it the Lowther estate, whoever it was who built this house? Yeah. Um, they carefully built it up, so actually the house wasn't flooded. The cellars were flooded. I mean, was that an intentional thing? Well, we don't know. I mean, my feeling is that people were in those days were much more in touch with living with nature because they had to be, you know. So I think they they knew about rivers flooding and things, and so they built appropriately. So. I mean, partly this house, because it's an important house, would have built, been built higher up. But also, I think they would have been aware that they're very close to the river, so it was built a bit higher. So, you know, yes, the water was within two inches of the, of the ground floor, but that was it. I've picked up one of these flood trails now, and it's a little leaflet. It's got a bit of background on the actual what happened. And then there's a map here and a series of points. And we're just passing 27 27. The first businesses to reopen in Main Street moved up to the first floor and branches of national chains were next. 28 now, we're just passing Christchurch Rooms and that's where they had the flood support centre. That was a building that wasn't so badly affected so they used it as a kind of frontline help place and a temporary library uh, was set up there in Christchurch itself. The design of buildings plays a big part in how badly damaged they become. We heard earlier from Johnty Chippendale, who showed me the electrics in his shop that are way above the waterline, up by the ceiling. Ewan Willards is from the Royal Institute of British Architects, who believe that if the right architecture is combined with the right flood defences, then that's crucial for our future. There's probably three different actions for three different sets of people. I would want the insurance industry to look at the issue of betterment. Every time a building is flooded, if there's a likelihood that it will happen in the future they should automatically spend a little bit extra money to make sure that 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 building is done as much as we can to flood proof that building the second action would be to actually engage with house builders and developers generally because there are lots and lots of features that we can put into a building materials that we can use but designs that we can utilize that means that the effective flooding will be much less and the cost will be negligible or actually nothing So we could just change our view towards flooding and treat it as not as something that you forget about the moment you build a building, but you actually build in flood resilience. That would be fantastic. The third issue is actually a challenge for government and for societies and for cities all around our coasts and our rivers, and that is to deal with the issue of flooding and deal with it as a future issue. It's not the problems that we have today that are going to be the problem. It's going to be the problems that we have in 20 and 30 and 50 years' time and beyond. I'd like to think that I'm optimistic Um, We've been working very hard with the insurance industry and with developers to address the kind of issues that I've talked about. Unfortunately, despite what we've seen in Cockermouth, despite what we've seen in other flooding areas around Tewkesbury and so on and the insurance industry losing £5 billion in claims in a single year, it still doesn't seem to have hit home the fact that this is just the tip of the iceberg. There's more extreme flooding, more extreme weather still to come. And I think maybe it'll take the Thames barrier being overreached before we actually realise what's going on. Maybe it'll take the Thames, the Thames to break its banks and, and actually for the House of Commons to be flooded before people realise that it's a really big issue now and for the future. Right, so here's point number four. This is the Goat Road Bridge, uh, which crosses the Derwent. And it's a big river, is the Derwent. 
I mean, I would say it's nearly 100 yards wide here, uh, and the banks are not very high. And um, this is one of Cockermouth's main crossings of the river, but it was unusable for months because these parapet walls on either side, which stand about four feet high, uh, were swept away. As I mentioned earlier, well over £200 million worth of damage was caused during the floods, and I've come now to see Adrian Goldstein, who had his home, a big house, bridge end house on the edge of the goat bridge, the goat road bridge in Cockermouth, very badly damaged to see what it looks like. And I can, I can tell you that his garden still looks a terrible mess. It's all fenced off with temporary fencing where the wall has been completely swept away. Um, there's loads of builders and plumbers and other vans parked outside. And it's quite clear that a whole year after this damage was done, uh, Adrian's got a long way to go before things get back to normal. Very nice to meet you. How, how are you Adrian Goldstein, you live in this beautiful house. Just looking around, even in its, uh, the state it's in at the moment after all the damage, you can see what a lovely house it is with these alcoves with gold, um, gold relief leaf. work. Yeah, gold leaf on, on the plaster work. Um, but clearly, it's, it's been devastated and we're a year on, yeah. um, a lot still to do, but could you just take me through the sort of things you've had to do here, you've had to get done? Well, I mean, initially, uh, when this first happened, um, our insurance company use a, uh, a company, it's a, they use franchisees, I guess, uh, of different builders that are supposed to be specialists, but these guys turned out not to be specialists in this sort of work. This is a house that dates back originally to 1765. When they were doing this, they had these journeymen plasterers come. You can see behind the plaster in some of the rooms that lovely lath work, which yes, obviously right. is very old and would need specialist repair. That's exactly it. It's oak lath, which is split, riven actually, and uh, it's nailed on to um, stud work and then plastered over with lime. These chaps came in and they hacked it all off, which they shouldn't have done. So, so you had these initial problems um, with the insurance people sending in the builders who, by the sound of it, were not really the right builders for a house like this. How has it gone on from there? Well, this was a, a, a national company who supposedly use uh, contractors that are well-versed in this sort of work, but this particular company they used weren't. And uh, they would come for maybe, uh, they were based, I think, in Bolton or Blackburn, and they, they would drive up, and they would come for maybe do eight, three and a half hours work. They wouldn't do an eight-hour day. Nothing was getting done. And it's the implication of that, that you, you mentioned franchising, that you know, the, the insurance company itself is good and reputable, but it's, they're, 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 exactly. they're at arm's length. Yeah. I think it's a mistake they make, because when there's a surge, when there's thousands of claims at any one particular time. There aren't enough local builders around. So they, they go for these specialist companies. One of the uh, things that is bound to go wrong is, is the fact that some of the builders aren't worried about their reputation because they work 120 miles away or they live. As a local builder, because he's local, he's worried about his reputation. So it's a recipe for disaster. And that's exactly what happened to us. I have to say, though, that the insurance company did recover the situation, but there was an eight-month delay. Are you, are you essentially putting back what was there before, or are, they, are you trying to build in anti-flood stuff, you know, protection, resilience? Um, I'm actually not a great believer in anti-flood stuff, but you, going back to uh, is it like for like, yes, it's like for like, but there are one or two things like proper ventilation, which wouldn't have been in off the underfloor, 
uh, which have been put in, uh, insulation put in, you know, to upgrade it, to make it more energy efficient, the house. And these are sort of prerequisites now of flood uh, repair. Yes. So there are some improvements, but nothing that you can see. I realise in a historic building like this, it'd be difficult, but they, they, they're not suggesting moving the electrics up. No, no, and I wouldn't have that. They, they do suggest it, but, and I remember this first company said something about it being so many, about 20 inches off. But, you know, if it's going to flood, I mean, where do you stop? You know, if it's six foot high, do you put it eight foot? Do you, do you have sockets in the ceiling? I mean, it's ridiculous. Does that mean to say you've got to have an electric kettle on top? You can't do that. If, I think the main problem uh, is with not so much resilience, but maintaining the rivers, and that's my particular bone to pick is the rivers uh, around here haven't been properly maintained because of lack of funds for the EA and the government I had hoped that they'd increase the, the funding the of agency. the Environment Agency do not have enough money they have a pound to do a two pound job. So should insurers be taking more of an initiative and repairing homes to make them less susceptible to flooding? And what will happen to the costs for people in places like Cumbria when the current agreement between government and insurers, which means that you don't have to buy additional flood cover, runs out in 2013? My name is Malcolm Tarling, spokesman for the Association of British Insurers. The flood risk in this country is getting worse. Insurance can play an important part of the solution, but insurers are not the answer to managing flood risk. At the moment, one in six homes in the UK are vulnerable to flooding, and it's estimated that that number will rise as the flood risk gets worse. So we really do need to see a concerted action with all people playing a role, especially the government, to reduce the flood risk. If we can reduce and better manage the flood risk, then flood insurance will continue to remain available at affordable prices. After 2013, when the industry statement of principles on flood insurance runs out, we want there to be a competitive market for flood insurance so that as many people as possible who are at risk of flooding can get the cover that they need at prices that they can afford. For this to happen, we need to get a move on and develop a long-term flood strategy that identifies the risks where there's adequate investment in managing those risks with all stakeholders playing a part, including insurers. Insurers want to look at innovative solutions. We want to break this cycle of flood repair, flood repair that many customers are caught up in. We want to encourage greater take-up of flood resilient and flood resistant measures in property repair so that people no longer have to be caught in this cycle of suffering a flood, having a repair, only to go through the same trauma several weeks, months or years uh, in the future. According to the Royal Institute of British Architects, coastal cities like Hull or Portsmouth could be partly underwater in a hundred years' time. So it really is time that we took flood defences more seriously and paid out more money for them. Uh, the urgency of all these measures is brought home to you, or to me when I come back here a year after. Situations like Cockermouth in 2009 are likely to be much more commonplace otherwise. The conclusions we've gathered from people here in the town still clearing up a year after the floods include these. The government must support the Environment Agency. It must keep up their funding. That in turn will help keep insurance down after 2013 because the insurance companies won't play ball if the government is not doing its part by spending money on flood defences. If they do go ahead with cuts, much bigger places than Cockermouth are in danger, including my own home city, Leeds, which has twice had narrow escapes in the last five years. 
as far as individual householders are concerned, there's so much that can be done now in the way of resilience, or should there be regulation to force insurers um, to insist on this sort of thing uh, when they uh, do their flood policies. It just makes you feel the need for an answer uh, that will give the country a more sustainable future so far as defence against flooding is concerned. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.